Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello again. Dr. Ross Green here. Coming to you live. As always, from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine, where we had our fourth annual international summit on non-punitive, non-adversarial interventions for at-risk kids last Friday, a few days ago. Um, I'm joined here by my co-host, Susie. How are you today? Good morning. I'm well, thank you. And you? I am doing well, and you were at the summit too, of course. Um, almost 400 people there this year, which is yeah. pretty cool. Um, what do you think of the day? I it was an amazing day. It was just great to look around and see this huge room full of people who have had success with the model and new people who are learning it and are very excited about collaborative and proactive solutions. It was quite a day. We had a bunch of other um, non-punitive, non-adversarial interventions represented at the day as well, and as best I can tell, um, people really got a lot out of those uh, presentations as well. Um, So... um, and, of course, the keynote speaker, Dr. James Garbarino, I think people were really um, moved and uh, informed by what he had to say. Um, pretty cool day. And, and then, of course, we had a presentation by video from um, some of the residents at the Maine State Prison um, that I think was very interesting for people to hear. These are guys who are going to be incarcerated for a very long time. And I had asked them to talk about um, how they ended up on the trajectory that landed them in prison. Um, and so it was uh, a pretty interesting day, I thought. And it sounds Extremely like others moving. felt the same. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, hard to get back to work after a day like that, but um, here we are anyways. And this isn't work. This is uh, what we do at Lives in the Balance. Um, so let's get moving here. We don't have any callers yet, but the call-in number is 347 We've had some people calling in fairly regularly who should also, of course, feel free to follow up with us, but new callers welcome as well. But in the absence of any uh, new calls, um, let's jump into some email. What do you say? Great. Here's one. Hi, my son is 11 and was a high-needs baby, spirited child, and now explosive describes him perfectly. Well, I guess he's um, 
made his way through uh, some some books. There's uh, The Difficult Child, which is for high-needs babies, The Spirited Child, and there's The Explosive Child. Um, so hopefully some of those resources have been helpful. We are now working – I didn't that's editorial comment. That wasn't in the email. We are now working through your book and looking at how to defuse him and make family life more harmonious. He, however, is beginning to have some insight into his own difficulties and knows – that we are reading a book to help him. Is there anything that he could read to help him understand why he has the reactions he does and how to understand himself a bit more? Many thanks for your work. Well, first of all, you're welcome, but thank you for your question. And um, we don't really promote products on this program, but there is a book that came out this year that was um, co-authored by a colleague of mine in Toronto, Dr. Trina Epstein, called The Adventures of Stretch More. The Adventures of Stretch More is a book for parents and kids to read together. And if he's 11, I would say that um, it's probably right in his age range. Um, And it's a pick-your-path book so that the stories in the book can have different outcomes depending on the path picked by the people who are reading the book together. And um, it's a good book. But let me ask you, Susie, at some point, you, I assume, explained, and I could be wrong about this, explained to your explosive child what you felt was going on with him, or at least provided some explanation about why you were doing what you were doing and um, why you were seeking the help that you were seeking, and maybe even why you were reading books that you were reading. So the question is, do you remember what you told him or what you said? Well, we kept it pretty simple um, and pretty much stuck to the just idea that it wasn't just his problem. It was a family problem. And um, we were doing some things that weren't working out so well, so we were going to try a different approach. And there were some some skills. Um, I don't recall the exact word that I used at the time, but uh, for lack of a better one right now, um, there were skills that were missing for all of us, and um, we were going to learn them together. I love that you described it as a family problem. No real need for there to be an identified patient in this process. It takes two to tango. And um, unsolved problems are owned not by the kid, but by the people who are having the problem with each other. Um, During my keynote at the summit on Friday, I showed slides showing how rates of ADHD and autism and depression and anxiety continue to climb and are still at rates that are very troubling. And while we could view those things as purely representative of characteristics of kids, we would make a big mistake in doing that. 
kids let us know that they're having difficulty meeting expectations in lots of different ways, sometimes through irritability, sometimes through anxiety, sometimes through exploding. Um, uh, the possibilities are unlimited in terms of how the kid is going to communicate to us that he or she is stuck or struggling. And, of course, if the ways in which a kid is communicating those things cluster together in the ways in which the diagnostic manual says they're supposed to, then the kid will meet diagnostic criteria for a particular disorder. But bottom line is it takes two to tango. While it might be the kid who is exhibiting certain behaviors and while the kid may be the one who's getting diagnosed, the unsolved problems are owned by everybody. This is a family problem and the problems are going to get solved together and um there you have it anything to add to any of that before we bring on a caller who we now have oh that's great um just i had noticed within my our family um communication wasn't what i had hoped that it would be people were were um assuming that they knew what other people were going to say and speaking for them, and there was a lot of um, sarcasm and mean teasing. So we really, one of the great things about Plan B was uh, we were lacking empathy and understanding, and um, the good news is Plan B was was an important intervention to change all that. Shall we take a caller? Absolutely. We actually have two now, and uh, we're going to start uh, in order here with area code 620. Uh, welcome to the program. What's on your mind today? Hi, Dr. Green. I've called in before. I have an 11-year-old <laughs> explosive child. I think you recognize my voice by now. <laughs> How could we not recognize that voice? <laughs> <laughs> not, 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 that's not a commentary on the voice. It's just that we love hearing from you. Well, I'm a singer, so it's it's. I take that as a compliment. So, <laughs> um, I was actually calling um, to follow up on the email that you just read. Um, I have. Um, we are two years almost to the date, about two weeks away from the two-year anniversary of my having come across the explosive child. And, um, you know, without a doubt, it has completely changed our family. We still have a ways to go um, with all four of us, but my 11-year-old is certainly um, making great strides, um, especially here at home. So, But what I wanted to say regarding the email, um, about, about a few months into us starting to do Plan B, he started picking up the book himself and um, reading it and reading parts just on his own and and then asking me about what plan A and plan B and plan C was. And we had been very clear about what plan C, or sorry, plan B was during those conversations. But um, I think I actually had called into a show to let you know, Dr. Green, that at one point he started using the plan A, plan B, plan C language with us. Mm-hmm. So in the middle of um, a conversation at home about something, he would look at me or at my husband and say, just right to her face and say, you're being very plan A about that. Are you sure you don't want to talk to me about this? 
<laughs> you know, and um, so to that parent that wrote in, I would say absolutely, whether you all sit together and read parts or um, let, let your child find what they find interesting about it. Um, my son actually began to um, connect with some of the uh, – some of the kids that you describe in the book, and he'd come to me and say, Mommy, I'm like this boy. This is the kind of reaction that I have, hmm. you know, and uh, it was a great stepping off point for conversation. So that's you my know, it's that's interesting. A, B, and C is a really nice framework, but I've always said that it helps ad- adults communicate with each other about how they want to solve problems together, but what you're pointing out is that um, it can also be a very handy way for kids and adults to communicate with each other about how they want to solve a problem. Um, Very cool that your son has picked up the terminology, and um, boy, it sure is handy to talk about things that way. Well, both of them have, because um, it became clear that my two sons are two years apart, needed to have Plan B's between each other when things would happen. Um, and we and we still to this day sometimes I'll sit them at the dinner table across from each other and I'll moderate it and they have a plan B conversation and typically they'll say to each other, well, this isn't really a plan B because you're holding on to the way you want to do things. That's a, that's a plan A and plan B is closing, closing. And they'll, they will realize when they're at a stalemate the other point I wanted to make was you had mentioned earlier how your family has changed and there's still some room to grow. And I just wanted to say that it, it it's never perfect, but making things better is our goal. And that's what you're doing with your family. You're, you're making things better. Yep. Absolutely, and without a doubt, things are so much better. And we left, we went to see, my husband and I went to see Dr. Green at a one-day workshop last year, Um, and we, on the drive back, we had a five-hour drive back, he and I had a plan B over some things that had been really just sticky wickets in our relationship, and it was really interesting to do that. And both of us use plan Bs with our college students as well. So, um, yeah, to that parent that wrote in, I, I can't speak strongly enough about starting the conversation off from the book and letting the child read the book. And uh, I'm looking forward to looking up that book that you that you uh, suggested just now, too, Dr. Green. So thank you. It's a good book. He might, he might like it. I, I'd be curious to hear what he thinks of it. So definitely let me know. Well, I look forward to reading it. I'll I'll go find it as soon as I can. It's fun, um, or at least it's supposed to be. Okay. Thanks for calling in. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Take care. Um, Shall we take our other caller? Sure. From area code 313, you're on the air. What's on your mind today? Hi. Um, I have a nine-year-old son, actually, and he fits the bill for explosive um, and we read the book in early September. Well, we just lost her. 
Um, so I want to encourage our caller from 313 to call back in. We'll take you as soon as you call back in. I'm not exactly sure what happened. Mm, technology. Um, but I'm going to read another one, and then hopefully our caller from area code 313 will call back in. Here's another. Okay. Uh, I, finished, I just finished reading The Explosive Child, and this is my 10-year-old son. I've printed out resources for myself and his school, but I'm unclear on one thing. He refuses to take responsibility for his actions. He blames everyone else. And I often think he convinces himself and truly believes that he did nothing wrong. He lies a lot, and I'm unsure why. I don't think it's because he's trying to avoid trouble. I just don't think he can help himself. He's also lying over silly, insignificant things, and I partly think it's because he's trying to fit so hard to fit in with other kids. He is socially awkward. When he gets into a schoolyard fight, I'm unsure of what to say to help him when he won't acknowledge he had any responsibility for the problem in the first place. The school is frustrated, and he is constantly being punished for things that he isn't learning or growing from. Is it possible to help him without needing him to acknowledge responsibility? Um, here's what I'm thinking. Our, our caller did call back in. I think we'll tackle that email after we bring our caller back on the line, and I'll just read it again. I just wasn't sure if she was going to call right back in. But here she is again. You're back on. I don't know what happened, but I'm glad you called back in. Hey, I don't know either. They hung up, so we'll we'll try it a second time. Thanks for taking my call right away. Um, so I'm struggling with a little bit of the email you just read, but um, more to the point is really my, my nine-year-old, we've been at it for a couple of months with um, Plan B, trying to take um, conversations with him in the open moments when he's settled and more willing to talk things through. He kind of gets the problem-solving idea. And while we've been able to tackle isolated, or I shouldn't say isolated, but specific problems as you recommend, what we're finding is there's a larger pattern to the problems. And so although we might solve one issue, for instance, being able to share a really large rock with other kids, you know, standing on it, it often leads into, you know, in solving that problem, it leads to another problem of a similar nature. Hello. Hello. I'm here. Okay. But we just we just lost our caller again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I'm hoping she'll call back in again. Boy, this is uh, an interesting day for technology. Um, we've been told that our phone lines in the offices of Lives in the Balance are hooked into a system that is really lousy. But I thought that we had changed that. So let's. Let's just see if mom calls in one more time. We sounds like it's going to be one we actually do want to talk about, and that is does solving one specific problem carry over into other similar problems and what to do about that if it doesn't carry over? Um, let's give her another second here to call back in. But as we know, that that frequently will happen, that you have one 
issue and it sort of spills over. Uh, I believe you call it um, not clumping, but splitting um, into different problems. Yes. Yes. Well, and let's see. We're going to see if she calls back in, but let me talk about the issue in general. Mm-hmm. Yes. We are, let's say that the difficulty in sharing a big rock with a bunch of kids, let's say they have many issues with sharing. And let's say they solve the sharing the big rock problem, but he's also having difficulty sharing lots of other things. What we hope is that independently, he starts to share better if we've solved a few problems that involve sharing. And what we're, So what we're hoping happens, and this is, this is the way kids develop, what we're hoping happens is that sharing toys, whatever solutions we came up with for difficulty sharing toys and difficulty sharing the rock and um, any other things that we might have solved that involve sharing, that the solutions we came up with for those unsolved problems the kid will start applying to other unsolved problems that involve sharing. That's what we hope happens. And that's sort of, that mm-hmm. happens in life for most people. Um, if you get a flat tire with your car, while the solution to that won't be exactly the same as the solution for your car overheating, there might be some similarities, namely that you might call the auto service company for help. You might call your significant other for help. And so then when your bumper starts trailing behind your car, you might say to yourself, well, you know what? This isn't exactly the same as when my car overheated or when I ran out of gas or when I had a flat tire. But the solution, I can, I can come up with a solution based on what I've experienced previous to this. Um, if that doesn't happen on its own, then sometimes we have to incorporate that into plan B. And that would sound like this. Um, I've noticed that you're having difficulty sharing your Legos with your younger brother. And you'd flesh that out. And then when you got to the invitation step, you might say, you know what? We've solved some sharing problems before. I wonder if the solution that we came up with to some other sharing problems might help us with this sharing problem. And you can reflect back, and this is exactly what you hope is going to happen naturally, but sometimes doesn't happen naturally. We can reflect back on what the solutions to those other ones were and give thought to whether those solutions might help us with the current unsolved problem, which is somewhat similar but not identical. And in that manner, you're helping a kid for whom the generalization part isn't coming naturally. You're helping him start to learn how to generalize because the solution to this sharing problem might actually help us out with another sharing problem. The solution to this car problem might actually help us out with another car problem. And I'm hoping that that, that we heard enough from the mom who has not called back in 
I'm hoping we heard enough from the mom that maybe that answer will be helpful to her, although we didn't hear a ton from her, so we're sort of taking a shot in the dark here as to actually what she was calling in for. Um, but once again, if, if she does want to call in, that number once again is 347-994-2981. Anything to add to that? Um, sometimes uh, in the process by uh, identifying a problem, other problems that you might be hibernating or that you haven't addressed do pop up and I think you even touched upon it um, on Friday at the summit that um, you know you can have quite a few problems on your unsolved problem list but at least now you know what you're working on yes I think the way I sometimes put it is while you want to split those unsolved problems early, some of them are going to naturally clump together, but in ways that aren't known to us in the beginning. And so often by solving one, and this is by no means often, always the case, but often by solving one, you're also knocking out some others. You don't necessarily even want to hope for that, but it does sometimes happen that solving the sharing the rock problem sometimes solves the solving the Legos problem. Um, if they aren't similar enough to each other for them to overlap enough solution to one to knock out the other, then you're still going to have to solve both. Um, but still try to capitalize on the solution to the earlier one to see if it helps you out with the one you're working on now. Shall we take another email? Sure. I just finished reading the... Oh, I did it already, but now let me read it again. I just finished reading The Explosive Child, and this is my 10-year-old son. I've printed out resources for myself and his school, but I'm unclear on one thing. He refuses to take responsibility for his actions. He blames everyone else. I often think he convinces himself and truly believes that he did nothing wrong. He lies a lot, and I'm unsure why. I don't think it's because he's trying to avoid trouble. I just don't think he can help himself. He is also lying over silly, insignificant things, and I partly think it's because he's trying so hard to fit in with other children. He is socially awkward. When he gets into a schoolyard fight, I'm unsure of what to say to help him when he won't acknowledge that he had any responsibility for the problem in the first place. The school is frustrated, and he is constantly being punished for things that he isn't learning or growing from. Is it possible to help him without needing him to acknowledge responsibility? My answer is yes, it's definitely possible to help him without him needing to acknowledge responsibility. I'm actually not sure, in most cases, what is gained by having a child formally acknowledge responsibility. I'd rather go through the back door on that. I'd rather um, ask him what problem caused the behavior that he is now lying about, engage him in telling us about that problem. That's the empathy step of plan B. See if he'll listen to our concerns and the define the adult concerns step of plan B. 
and see if he'll participate in generating solutions that are realistic and mutually satisfactory. If he's doing all of that, he's taking responsibility. But it actually sounds, in this case, like trying to get him to take responsibility as the sort of requirement for participating in Plan B is keeping him from participating in Plan B. I don't know why he's lying. Um, Yes, one reason that a child might lie would be to avoid trouble. I've worked with a lot of impulsive liars, though, kids who are reflexively telling us what we want to hear, um, telling us what they wish they would have done, but in the form of a fabrication. Um, We should never lose sight of the fact that uh, denial is the most primitive form of, um, is the most primitive of defense mechanisms. And so, you know, we could always talk with him more formally about lying and why it's happening. Um, But to the point of the email, um, I'm not sure why, if we're asking him to take responsibility for his actions, we're actually asking him to take responsibility for his behavior, rather than talking with him about the problem that's causing the behavior. So not only are we talking about the wrong thing, his actions, his behaviors, we are throwing this roadblock in front of him that's going to keep him from talking about the problems in the first place, and that's kind of demanding that he take responsibility for those actions. So Right, you don't want to focus the on the behaviors. You don't want to focus on the behaviors. You want to focus on the problems causing those behaviors. So having him take responsibility for the thing you don't even really want to be talking with him about in the first place probably isn't the ideal strategy. What What are your thoughts on that? Well, and also I I think we should talk about having the right lenses on and seeing this as a learning disability similar to a reading problem and and treating it as such that he's lacking some skills and there's demands for those skills and some unsolved problems. And when you look at it as a learning disability or a developmental delay of sorts, I think it... Um, it helps people to um, be more compassionate in terms of dealing with the child. It's an interesting thing that, that people, um, and I'm not being critical of this mum, I'm just that there's a lot of people out there who want the kid to take responsibility. Um, if unsolved problems take two to tango, as we talked about earlier in the program. We don't want the kid being the one who takes responsibility. It's that the unsolved problem is owned by the two dance partners who are involved in the problem. And if we're focused on his actions, we run the great risk of not focusing on the problems that gave rise to those actions. But once again, I know I'm being repetitive here. If he is participating in discussions about how to solve those problems, so the actions don't take place anymore. I think he's taking responsibility. Mhm. That's exactly right. There are lots of different reasons that kids might lie. We covered a fraction of them. Um, I think that sometimes when people know that a kid is fabricating, 
they become very focused on making him tell the truth. Um, but I find that when we're talking with kids about their concerns about unsolved problems in the empathy step of Plan B, um, there's no lying because your concerns are your concerns. I find that a lot of the lying is denying that a particular behavior took place. Right. I almost never feel like I'm being lied to uh, when I'm asking a kid to tell me what his concern or perspective or point of view is on a given unsolved problem because that's a process that actually doesn't pull for fabricating. We just want to know what's going on. We just want to understand um, there's an interesting expression that I sometimes run into in some of the juvenile prisons that I work in. It goes something like this. You know, Tommy's lying if his lips are moving. Um, that's, that's entering plan B already thinking that the kid's going to lie to you. But I think that those kids who lie are mostly being asked about their behavior, not about the problems that are giving rise to those behaviors. Shall we take one more email? I think we have time for one more, maybe two. We'll see. Ready? Sure. Ready. My husband and I have both read your book, The Explosive Child, and are very eager to start solving some of our son's problems. We completed the ALSEP and discovered lacking skills in all areas. My biggest concern at the moment is figuring out how to get started. Currently, my son is nine years old and a fourth-grade student who has two younger sisters, ages seven and six, since the start of the school year, he's been having extreme difficulty getting to school, staying at school the whole day, being respectful to all of his teachers, one in particular, and completing any schoolwork or homework. I am unsure how to use Plan B, for instance, in getting him to go to school. I have tried and in the end have had to use a Plan A because unfortunately school can't fall under Plan C and I'm having a really hard time with drilling and solutions getting calls every day from the school. I'm not sure how many school-related problems we can work on at once, but I sort of feel like they are clumped, even though I have some of the problems listed separately. Some examples are difficulty leaving the house to go to school, difficulty getting out of the car to go to school, difficulty getting to class, difficulty getting along with Mrs. J, who is the classroom assistant, not the main teacher. I have tried drilling, and the information he has given me so far is that he hates school, Mrs. J is mean and yells at him. She is annoying and always getting in my face when I'm trying to work and that she is strict about how he does his work. School is hard. He hates writing. It's too much work in all subjects. And he said, it's writing hard for me. I can't explain it. Obviously, these are only a few on our very long list of problems. My son was diagnosed with ADHD, depressive disorder, social pragmatic communication disorder, and sensory integration weakness. I know those aren't important with how we solve problems, but just wanted to give you some info. I could really use some guidance with where to begin, as our everyday living is being greatly impacted. I can only imagine. But let's um, go back to this email. It does sound like there's going to be a very long list of unsolved problems at school. There's a few tricky parts here. I would split them 
And I would put difficulty getting to school in the morning as the number one unsolved problem. I suspect he's having difficulty being respectful to all of his teachers, one in particular, because of expectations. He's having difficulty meeting at school. Uh, uh, Perhaps his response is being fueled by their response to his difficulty meeting those expectations. I'm not sure it's going to be possible to come up with a comprehensive list of unsolved problems at school without engaging the school. And if you're having difficulty drilling, then it's true you're going to have difficulty solving the problem. And so I guess the big question is, so I I don't have a, I think you've done reasonably well at identifying specific unsolved problems. I don't think, although I do think that the list can be far more comprehensive, but I also think you're going to need help from the folks at school with that list. I think it's very hard for the folks at home to know all of these specific unsolved problems at school, and I wouldn't clump them. While I do think that, in general, his misery at school feels like a very clumped, unsolved problem. Um, There are very specific problems that need to be identified and solved at school. Yes, it does sound like he has one particular teacher, Mrs. J, who seems to be responding to him in ways that, um, and the, the hint here is mean and yells at him, in ways that he is not finding to be especially helpful, and that probably gives rise to disrespect. You've also mentioned that he has... Uh, Social pragmatic communication disorder, that can also play a major role in making it difficult for kids to respond in a respectful way because responding in a respectful way requires verbal fluency that he may not have. He's got a bunch of other stuff going on, ADHD, depressive disorder, sensory issues. Um, I think we got a lot going on at school and a lot of contributing factors And what I do not understand yet is, are we expecting the same things of him at school as everybody else? Uh, What's on that list of expectations that he's having difficulty meeting? Are we working on them all at once? Or are some of them going to have to be plan C? But back to one of the biggest issues. Yes, crucial to get good at drilling for information. And I would have to look, but I think that there are radio programs that have been on this parent program that have been devoted specifically to drilling. And so what I'm going to do is see if we can find those and um, forward those along to you as well. But bottom line is there are eight drilling strategies. The foremost among them is reflective listening. Um, saying back to the kid whatever he just said to you, often accompanied by a clarifying statement like how so, or I don't quite understand, or I'm confused, or can you say more about that, or what do you mean? I think there's a lot to learn from your son about what's going on with him at school. And so we really want you to be well-equipped to drill for that information. I just don't think you're going to be able to do it all on your own. I have this feeling 
you're going to need to collaborate with the school to make it happen. But Susie, uh, because I know that you have run into some similar things at school, I'm betting that you have much to say on this as well. I have a few things to say. Um, you, I would keep a log for a week and um, write down all of the unsolved problems that you encounter. Um, I think that you already talked about prioritizing your two or three most important problems um, that you want to work on. I would want to make sure that you're making an appointment to talk with the child at a calm time proactively rather than emergently. Um, And I would try to get a copy of your other book, Lost at School, which is a very helpful resource um, in terms of working with the school people. Um, Our school was slow to come around, but but once we explain Dr. Green's model and um, actually gave him a copy of the book, um, we were able to figure out interventions that helped my son um, teach, you know, lagging skills indirectly and solve problems proactively. Um, you're right. Some schools don't come around so fast. I just find that it's really hard to solve a problem with a kid as a parent with the problem being at school without the school folks participating in the process because technically that's very hard to do, Uh, basically impossible to do, though many Mm -hmm. try, um, because if we're not, obviously drilling well gets the kids' concerns on the table, but if we're sort of blind to what the concerns are of the folks at school, um, it's, it's kind of impossible to solve the problem in a realistic and mutually satisfactory manner because we don't know what the folks' concerns are at school. And so... Um, very hard to do this, which is why I'm always encouraging people, parents, to get the school involved. Um, otherwise, the parent is speaking on behalf of the school in the define adult concerns step without really knowing what the school's concerns are. For all this mom knows, the, the school is still at the level of behavior rather than problems and concerns about those problems in which case um, we really don't know what problem we're trying to solve or what the parameters of the solution are going to be because we don't know what the concerns of both parties are. So very difficult, if not impossible, to do Plan B that way. Uh, The mom gets 10 points for trying, Um, but it sounds like there are two things that probably need to happen next. Uh, let's, I'm going to email mom the drilling strategies program so we've got that squared away. And um, I would strongly recommend getting the school involved. Right, and we also have the drilling cheat sheet. 
The drilling cheat sheet is on the Lives in the Balance website now in the paperwork section of the resources section. That should help, too. So there you have it. Um, and we only have about a minute left in today's program, so I think we probably don't have to take time to take a, another email. Any final thoughts for today before we sign off? Um, just that it's all about understanding and trying to listen to your child and not focus on behaviors. And uh, children do well if they can. And as I say before, Plan B helps them to do just that. I think that I uh, have nothing better to say to end the program than that. Let's call it a day. We'll be back next week as always. Susie, as always, thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Talk to you next week.